0: Verse 1 is where we've started, and we're going to keep reading over it because it's just this powerful piece of scripture, actually. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 reads like this Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples, and he warned them Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have Said in the dark will be heard in the light. and Whatever you've whispered behind closed doors will be shadowed from the housetops for all to hear. Verse 4, we're going to kind of camp out today. Verses 4 and 5, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But verse 5 says, but I tell you whom to fear. Fear God. Boy, our nation needs to return to that right there, brothers and sisters. Who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. And Jesus says, yes, he's the one to fear. Wow, that's a mouthful. Is that a mouthful? You know, we've been talking about masks the last couple of weeks. And I've tried to remind you that as a community of faith, we're to be open and transparent. We can't walk around like a masked ball. Our superheroes all wear masks. I don't know why. We want to see their weakness, we don't want to see. We don't know that they have real issues, they try to hide behind that and I'll kind of describe the story of this ball that's been chewed up by a dog, it's been kicked into goals, it's had defeat and it's had victory and it's got ambition and all of that sort of thing and, and we all have that and sometimes we hide those things from our Father. And The next week I encourage you to come sit with me and my wife at a table uh, that we sat at before we were married and how that we... In order to endeavor to grow a great relationship, a deep relationship, anything that was uncovered, anything that was covered need to be uncovered. And I, I encourage you as Christians in, in, in this life that if we're going to grow together, we've got to know who we're walking among, who we're living among. The Bible tells us in the Scriptures that we should know no person after the flesh, that we should know those who labor among us. We should get down to the deep and the nitty-gritty with one another. And if we just play church, we'll never get there. My wife laughed at me, kind of, sort of, snickered, and she asked me one afternoon, she said, she said are you wanting to do more marriage counseling? Because that message you just preached is going to maybe create some things, you know, going to make some stuff, and, but, you know, I think it's worth it if we're going to get where God needs for us to go. And last week we talked about what happens, what do we, what do, we do when somebody comes clean, how do we create the environment that allows for when exposure happens for things to be healthy and grow? Or are we going to be those who make people put layers back on? Do you remember that? Could have used some layers this week, couldn't you? What, what kind of environment are we going to create? So we've got, we got to learn that... As Christians, we're called to a different sort of lifestyle. We're called to a different kind of living. We're called to, to openness before our God and our Father. We're called to openness between our, our spouses and us. We're called to openness between our children and ourselves. We're called to, to, to be living epistles that are read of men, and sometimes the stuff God's brought us through and taken us out of becomes the very piece of testimony that God intends to use to bring life and hope and strength that we can't live or, and hide behind those kinds of things. I described to you a couple of weeks ago about my, my, my confession to my wife. I believe it would be my wife. She wasn't my wife yet. And how I had to share some things about me that were very dark and difficult and ugly. And I hated it. I hated that I was that person. When I, when I made those horrible and dastardly decisions, one thing that made me put that mask on was I didn't operate under the proper kind of perspective and lifestyle. You see, Jesus talks here in Luke chapter 12 about, the, about fear. And see, when I, was a, when I was a student in high school, when I was a young adult, I could not be who I was because I didn't know who I was. And one reason I didn't know who I was is because I operated in fear. See, in certain groups, I was the egghead. I was the smart kid. I mean, I'm the one who started taking algebra in the eighth grade and then took geometry and algebra two, and I took uh, analytic geometry and trigonometry and calculus, and there were some people who knew me as the smart guy. But I always found that I wasn't as smart as somebody else. I never did measure up, and I tried to fit into that, to that crowd. you know what I mean? I tried to sleek into that, to that thing, and, and I, was, I was the smart guy in some circles. But you know what? In other circles... I was something else. See, I was the guy who went to, to, to church on weekends and Wednesday nights. I went to youth in some circles. I was the Christian guy. I would wear the Christian T-shirts and the Christian paraphernalia. I'd wear my, my, my Christianity in certain circles, and, and, and people uh, thought I was, I'd, I'd go to FCA meetings, fellowship of Christian athletes meetings. I'd play the part, but there was something about me that still wasn't whole and wasn't well. In other circles, I was the the jock. Uh Oh, took off too many. I was the the jock. I played football literally for all my life. I mean, honestly, I, I, I I couldn't even be a good fan, though, when I was in Florida because I was a Buckeye at heart. But I found myself sticking on at times even that crazy orange and blue from, uh, what's that town, Gainesville. And then I went on to go to Bobby Bowden's football camp. I couldn't even be true to them. I had to put on that gold and maroon of Florida State. You know what I mean? I was just a mess. I didn't fit in anywhere. My folks... Thought that this young man that lived in their house wore a halo. And they didn't even know who I was. And I lived my life in fear. I lived my life in fear that that group wasn't going to accept me, that this group wasn't going to take me for who I was, that these people were going to make fun of me, that I wasn't going to measure up, that I, I was never going to fit in, and I wasn't going to make it. I wasn't going to, going to, going to be what I needed to be. And I lived in fear. But God calls me to a different place. See, when we, we, we hear a lot of we hear, we hear a lot around Christian circles about being people of integrity, don't we? People of integrity. What does that word mean? Well, the word integrity is is a word that that, that, that speaks of wholeness. It it speaks of completeness. It it, it talks about us uh, being completely open and honest, the quality of being honest. It talks about us having strong moral principles and moral uprightness. It's the state of being whole and undivided. It has to deal with the condition of being unified, that, that we're unimpaired, that we're in, of sound construction. It actually has a, a relative that's a mathematical term. And since I started out talking about, you know, kind of being the egghead guy at, at points and times and circles of my, of my life, let's just talk about that. The word integer, anybody heard of the word integer? They come from the same word. You know what an integer is? An integer is a whole number, it's not a, not a fraction. See, our lives can become fractionalized. Our lives can become pieces rather than holes. We can, we can live in a place where things don't quite measure up, that we are not quite what we seem to be, and there's a piece of us here and a piece of us there and a piece of us over there, and we never can really, we, we're a different person at home amongst our family. Maybe we're a different person at work than we are at, at, at home. Maybe we're a different, peop, different group of people with our friends that we hang out with on the weekends and we are with the people that, 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 that see us every day. Maybe we're, I mean, we're just, we're just we can be fractionalized. And the root cause of that, according to Jesus, is we fear men. You see, Jesus said that the scriptures are there for every word in that scripture is there on purpose. And Jesus starts out giving us this idea of what was going on through through Dr. Luke, who wrote the book, saying this. The crowds began to form. There were thousands, one translation say, coming around Jesus. They were milling about, and his disciples and him began to feel the pressure of the world around them. And they, 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 Jesus gave them cause. The Bible says he first spoke to his disciples. He said, listen, don't give in to the pressure. Don't give in to the, the, the stuff. Don't let that leaven that you appear to be something that you're not creeping on you because of the pressure around you. You know, we, we, we've got to learn to, 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 to fear God. It, it really is an issue of wholeness. It's an issue of wholeness, but it's not just an issue of wholeness. It's an issue of worship. Matthew ten twenty six reads like this. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness is spent on the same piece of scripture, okay? So This is Matthew describing some of the same things Jesus talked to his disciples about. And He says, what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. My wife and or my, my, my children, and I, my, my two boys, we went on a little little errand run on Thursday afternoon. End up at Lowe's buying a piece of equipment so I could blow the leaves around my yard. And while we're walking around Lowe's, my sons go, Dad, can we go to Petland? And they have been really good boys that day. Huh? <laughs> Actually, we're really good boys in Petland. We, we go to Petland. I go, oh, come on. I said, I hope we get home in time to not make your mom mad before we get to dinner. And uh, so we go into Petland. We walk around in there. And we come to one of these cages, and inside of the cage is this thing called a chameleon. And Caleb makes a pretty distinct observance. Dad, he looks different than he looked the last time we were here. And I went, yeah, that's because a chameleon, when it's, when it's against one background, it's one color, and when it's against the other background, it's a different color. And he goes, as kids would do, I want to be a chameleon. My child's not unlike God's children. I thought to myself, no, you really don't want to. Because a chameleon can't be seen for who they really are for what they really are. They hide. They, they mix into the background. They mix into whatever's around them. They, they hide back there. And, and that one time that comedian was green, and this time he was brown because he was hanging out on the branch, not up in the leaf. And you could and, and, and we do that. But see, Jesus talks to the disciples. He goes, listen, what I'm whispering in your ear, shout. What I'm saying to you in prayer, make known to people around you, even from the rooftops, even from the housetops. You can't hide and shout from the housetops. You know that? you can you can 't mix into the crowd, you can 't mix into the group and, and we, we so often equate our uh, our you know he's talking about Jesus is talking about Pharisees, we equate our religion, our yeah holiness with things that, that, that make us look like the rest of the Christian world with not necessarily making us look like Jesus. you know what I mean? We can, we can mix into this crowd and maybe not be seen or not heard, but the, the issue is what are we doing? In regard to the mission Jesus gave us, how are we sticking out for them to see us who are lost, who are dying, who hurt? We can mix into this crowd and never feel compelled to do anything but sit here. We can mix in at work and never feel compelled to share the gospel with the people who are hurting most around us. We can mix in at the football game or the the restaurant, the family gathering, whatever, and... I'm an I personality. anybody do the disc profiles? We talked about those the first week. I'm an I. An I is an influencer. Is the main name for an influencer. And I tell you this so you know who you're dealing with. Okay, I'm an I off the chart. Okay, an I is a people person. I have very little or anything else of a personality profile except I'm a people person. I can't really get anything done. I can't hardly uh, focus. As long as there's people around, I'm kind of in there. The problem with being a people person is this. Your greatest fear is rejection. You know why I had to wear all those masks and t-shirts and things around school? Because I was dreadfully fearful that one day I would be made fun of, that somebody would not accept me for who I was, that I could not function and, and be live up to something particular. And even today, as an adult 41-year-old man, sometimes that addiction to the approval of people attaches itself to me. Some of you have had addictions before, wherever maybe alcohol or drugs or whatever. And and there are days you've overcome that thing, and there are days it like afflicts you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I have a hard time with that at times. I want desperately for the people in my life to love me. And so sometimes I make concessions and I, I do things, and you know, I'm learning, I'm learning not to do that anymore. I'm learning to be what Jesus needs for me to be. It started probably that night at that restaurant with my wife. That was the first time i ever really come clean to anybody. First time. First time that I really knew who Aaron Hines was was probably this lady right here. My parents didn't even know who I was at that point. And it, was a, it was a hard night. You know why? Because she could walk away from that table and say, no, I don't think so. Thanks anyway. And she would have been justified. You know why? Because I am not worth it. You know why I'm not worth it? Because I have made a mess of my life. But Jesus, his grace is all surpassing. I am not worth it because he is worth it. He shed his blood and let me slide underneath the shower of it. And suddenly, that which was all messed up suddenly is made brand new. Is that awesome or what? Huh? Huh? That is the gospel. But see, here's the thing. In order for me to be whole, i got to have fear placed in the right place. Fear has to be placed in the right place. I cannot fear man. I cannot fear circumstance. I cannot fear economy. I cannot fear the work environment. I cannot fear uh, tomorrow. I cannot fear because these, these things will all mold me and shape me into something that I am not. And so fear, well-placed, has a great benefit, and Jesus talks about that. The word fear, Jesus used in Luke 12 and in Matthew 10, it means to be afraid, to show respect, but here's the key thing. It means to worship. So when I, oh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. We don't often think of it in those terms. See, to fear is where wisdom and worship both start proverbs 1 7 you guys could probably quote with me some of you proverbs 1 7 says these words fear of the lord is the foundation of true knowledge fools despise wisdom and discipline in revelation 14 7 you'll find these words fear god is a shout from the last book of the bible Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. See, wor- this, the idea of fear has both the idea of wholeness and worship. Are you hearing me? So to, to, worship is to mean, the, the Hebrew word we find in, in, in the Old Testament means to fall down, to bow to fall prostrate before. When we succumb to the expectations of others, we begin to uh, interact in a course of worship to them. Did you know that? We don't think of it in those terms, do we? But that's what the Bible says. Are you hearing me? When we succumb to that pressure and we operate under fear of what people will think about us, what they will say about us, what, what what kind of things they could do to us, how things might go, we begin to worship that fear rather than to worship the God of heaven. And the reason we put a mask on is because we are in fear of them more than fear of him. Tough stuff, huh? But it's God stuff. It's Bible stuff. And I could sit here and not preach the whole thing to you, but I just would choose to do the whole thing. Because one day, I will stand before him. And he'll say, hey, you've left that part out, brother. And I'm not looking forward to that conversation. You hear what I'm saying? I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather make a few of you a little squeamish and maybe even a little angry with me, because one day I'm going to stand before him, I don't want him angry with me. Are you hearing me? All over our our. Our lives, there's got to be this openness. We cannot be what God wants us to be if we choose to hide. We just can't. We, 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 the, 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 the gospel is all about Jesus making himself known to the world. And he makes himself known to the world now and these days through the lives of those who call on his name. Let's think about something for a minute. If this idea of fear is worship, let's talk about some things of some people in the Scripture who contended with both those thoughts. There's this book in the Bible called Daniel. Daniel is a prophet of God. He's taken captive into a foreign land. And he's got three buddies that they rename Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they start their journey together not eating the stuff that's dished to them. Read Daniel chapter 1. They, 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 they are shoved at them from the culture they lived in, live in this stuff that they know is only for the purpose of defilement of them as, as followers of God. And they, they're like, determined, we're not going to do that. We're not going there. So they don't need it. And God shows them grace and mercy. You jump ahead to chapter 3, and suddenly you find the three other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being confronted with the idea of worship and fear. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, who was the, the, the ruler of the, enti- the strongest empire on the planet at the time, creates this image. And he, he decides to make the people at the sound of the music to dance to his tune and to bow before his creation. Anybody ever seen Veggie Tales? When I was working at praises, man, VeggieTales Veggie Tales with the height of their popularity, man, they were climbing the ladder, man. And there was this one episode of VeggieTales called Rack Shack and Benny. Anybody ever seen it? Can I get an Amen? Huh? Rack Shack and Benny. There's that orange carrot girl with the with the the uh, the braids, yeah. And it looks like Heidi from the German, you know, the the the, 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 the what, what was those remember her? Heidi? Remember that? Huh? And she's got those braids hanging off of her face, and she's like bowed down to the, the bunny, the bunny. Remember that? And she looks over and sees Bob and Larry and Junior not bowing. And she's like, hey, guys, what are you doing? You better bow. And they're like, we can't. We can't. Even their friends were trying to get them to bow the knee. And they said, we can't. Their their infraction of the law was brought before the king, and he's angry. He is mad. Here's some of his best buddies, man. He's exalted them to different places in the kingdom. They've served him well, and suddenly they won't do this one thing that requires fear and requires worship. And He's like, what are you you guys doing? And I love their response. Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. And I think his eyebrows kind of went up like, oh, yes, you do. If we are thrown the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, and they even use a term of respect, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. And what happens? They end up in the flame, in the fire, and the, 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 the king looks into the, into the furnace like, well, did we not throw three guys in there? the guy's like, hey, there's four in there now. And the one looks like the Son of God. Jesus is near to those who worship him unashamedly. And if you didn't have that thing up there, you would read the words, worship is a lifestyle. Okay, and it it is about what we do every day, day in and day out. We're not just worshiping and honoring Jesus in, in this sacred moment here inside this building. Our lives are sacred because of the blood and the power and the strength of Jesus. Our God loves us, and he wants us to walk with him every single day. And the reason they would not bow is they started back in Daniel chapter 1 not doing it. And It had become a life thing to them. It wasn't just a, a ceremonial issue. It was a real life deal to them. And their buddy Daniel, he's kind of the same way. He, th- their issue was they would not bow. Not going to do it. But Daniel's issue was he did bow. And the people around him who wanted to see him fail knew the only thing they could use against him was his worship of God. And they were going to try and trap him in it. And Daniel's like, there's no way. I've been doing this for a long time. God can take care of me, and even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him well. And in Daniel chapter 6, he's brought before the king because he infracts the law, not because he didn't bow, but because he did, because there was a new law instituted that said, if you bow and pray to anybody other than the king, you shall be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel stands there and look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says this But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. (laughs) He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Today, the reason Daniel was able to worship God because it had become his custom. His life revolved around his fear of God, his love for the things of God. He lived day in and day out, understanding that God was everything and everything else was just a big facade and a charade. That one day eternity would come and God began to give him visions about how that was going to materialize. He's like, You know what? I'm just hanging out right here. I'm not moving. I'm not budging. I'm not stopping. You cannot make me. I will not. In Luke chapter 12, 12, verses 8 and 9, you read these words. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Wow. Man. We have some rich heritage as followers of God, man. As those who are called by the name of Christ. We've got a rich heritage. And we think about the Old Testament. Man, that was a long time ago, but maybe we should jump forward a little bit and think about some people who are maybe a little nearer to us in proximity and time. Next week, we will pray together and observe the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church because there's brothers and sisters all over the world right now who suffer for one reason and one reason only because they call on the name of Christ. There's this guy named Richard Wurmbrand. In 1940s Romania, he's a Jewish man who has an encounter with a follower of Jesus. And this man prays for Richard. And Richard finally comes to the saving knowledge of Christ. He becomes a pastor. He's a Jewish guy who's a follower of Christ in Eastern Europe. During Nazism, wow, and becomes a pastor in the middle of all of that, and begins to serve God and serve God well. And in 1945, the war is won. Stalin and his guys come and take over Eastern Europe, and as they take over Romania, his the homeland of Richard Wurmbrandt. One thing they realized was they need to be able to manipulate the people. So you know what they do? They call for a convocation of delegates from the church and the Communist Party. 4,000 of them gathered together. They broadcast it on the airwaves via radio. And you know what happens? One pastor after another begins to propagate how communism and Christianity can work together. And Richard and his wife sit in this delegation. They watch as things go on, and finally his wife has had enough. And she looks at him and says, well, Richard, are you going to say something? And he says these words, if I say something, I'll become a prisoner. And she looks right back at him, and she says, well, I'd rather have a prisoner than a coward for a husband any day of the week. Why don't you walk up there and wipe the shame off of Jesus' face? Richard Wurmbrand walks to the podium. He begins to, 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 to give, deliver the, the, the uncompromising gospel. And then suddenly the radio clicks off. The microphone's deadened. And he walks out of that room that day. Three years later, he's going about his daily business. And suddenly the secret police kidnap him, take him to jail, and give him the name Prisoner number 1. For twenty-something years, he lives in and out of prisons. He has such an impact. At one point, they let him go because he's having an effect on the guards. He's just in and, out, in and out. Finally, in 1967, through the miraculous hand of the Lord, he's set free, and he comes to a place called America, and he starts an organization called the Voice of the Martyrs. Wow, huh? I'm to introduce another guy, about the same time frame. This guy's name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He wrote a, he wrote a real, real well-known book called The Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lives not that far away from Richard Wormbrand. He, he is from Germany. His family, as he's growing up, are not followers of Christ. He rarely goes to church, but as a, as, as a teenage boy, he begins to feel the tug of God on his life. As a, as, a, as a late teenager, he gives his heart to Christ. And suddenly, in the midst of all of that, 1920s, 1930s Germany, there's an, a, a rise of uh, a power that's ungodly. Nazism begins to take over Germany. And, and just like the, the communists in Romania in 1945 and early 1930s, 1933, I think, the Nazis want to use the church for the same reasons. And they developed this thing called the deutsch Christen, And their heart is to use pulpits of their gland to persuade people to follow Nazism. One of their ploys is they hopefully want to eliminate the Old Testament from the Scripture because how can you get rid of Jews who wrote the Bible if they wrote the Bible And in his heart, Dietrich Bonhoeffer knows that is as godless as the day is long. He spends some time in America getting some training and stuff. He comes back. He starts a seminary called Finkenwald, Finkenwald, I believe it's called. And he begins to train people how to really follow Christ. They start start a thing, an anti-Nazi Christian church called the Confessing Church. We're going to follow Jesus to the end of the road, man. 1936, I think. That seminary shut down. He's forbidden to publish, to lecture at the University of Berlin, which he had been accustomed to doing at times. He was forbidden to to, to write or do anything like that. In 1938 or 39, some of his friends were like, we got to get you out of here. They're going to take you out. And he jumps on a boat and travels across the Atlantic Ocean to uh, New York. As he's reading in Isaiah Isaiah tells him not to flee the, the 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 evil that's around him. He he lands in New York at the end of June, and by the end of July, he's on the last boat leaving from America to Germany before the war starts. He goes back, and he becomes a part of some resistance there, and he begins to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus and. He, began, he, he continues to, in, to, to, to in, give people reasons for following. And In 1943, he's arrested as a conspirator. And just like Richard Wormbrand, those guards inside that prison camp don't have the foggiest idea what to do with this guy. When everybody else is sad and depressed, he walks around with the joy of the Lord and the peace of God filling his life. And in April 1943, just, or 45, just days before the Allies would win, Bonhoeffer is hung on a gallows. Some of his seminarians die likewise, but some of them survive. And you know what happens? They continue to, to, to write, to, to, to gather his writings and his lectures, and, and his, the, the propagation of the gospel continues to grow. Still today, we read his books. I got one of his books on my iPad right now called Living Together, how proper Christian community creates an environment even when we have enemies all around us to keep doing what we're doing, keep going where we're going. Man, it's awesome. I don't know if I could be that guy. I would really like to be. If I have a choice, I want to be named in this number. I don't want to be in the delegates that would walk up and, forget the gospel that they should hold dear. I don't want to be the ones who handed pieces of paper and said, here, teach this. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, I don't want anything to do with it, yet it weirds me out because I'm not sure I'm equal to the task, but you know what the great thing is? I don't have to be. Jesus is. His Holy Spirit is sufficient. His grace is overwhelming and Maybe today you're sitting here and you've succumbed to that kind of pressure in several areas in your life. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's college. Maybe it's, it's, it's other places where you play, I don't know, some kind of sport as a hobby or do something like that. And you know God's placed you where he's placed you, and yet you live in fear of how people might respond. If you truly live like God wants you to live, truly say what God wants you to say, let me encourage you with some words from Isaiah 51. He says these words, Listen to me, you who, are, who know right from wrong. You who cherish my law in your hearts, do not be afraid of people's scorn, nor fear their insults, for the moth will devour them as it devours clothing. The worm will eat them as it eats wool, but my righteousness will last forever. My salvation will continue from generation to generation. You know what's amazing about the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, about the story of Richard Wurmbrand? Those things that sought to take them out, they themselves are gone to this day. The moth has eaten them. The worm has devoured them. And you know what is also true? Both Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Richard Wurmbrand stand in the presence of God today in heaven because of the grace of Jesus. Uh, Yeah, that's good to clap about. I don't talk like somebody that that, that has it all together because I don't. But listen to me. I want to be in that group of people. When the chips come down, when the, when the light needs to be shown, I want to be the person Jesus can count on to be the one holding the torch. I don't know if I'm, I'm capable, but I'm going to trust him to help me. I'm going to trust him that that, 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 that if he created everything I can see, touch, and feel, he's got more than enough power and strength to take care of me. I keep thinking of that passage of scripture I read to you last week out of Psalms where David said, "One, one thing I've heard, two things I know, that God, you are good, and God, you are strong. I want to live by those words. Today, in this culture we live in, there's pressure all around us. Daniel writes that the spirit of Antichrist would seek to wear out the saints of God. Don't let the fear get to you. Don't let the worry of what might happen tomorrow, what might happen next week, next month, next year. Don't let the worry, don't let the fear of what other people are doing or not doing. not the fear of what might happen plague you and, and, and tear you up. Listen, we need to chip away at this. Listen, 1 Peter 3 says these words, now... Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager for doing good? Some people will. So, Paul, so Peter goes on to say, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for doing it. Listen, I love these words of Peter. You know why? Because I feel like Peter a lot. I would probably be the guy sitting outside the gate while Jesus is being persecuted and beaten up and deny him. I could very well do that. I've, I, probably, I have done that. I've described it to you already this morning. I could be the chameleon. But this guy, Peter, dies for Christ later on in his life and preaches the gospel to multiply thousands of people at great cost to himself. So if God can do that for Peter, he can do that for me. If God can do that for Peter, he can do that for you. If God can do that for somebody as up and down and all around as Peter was, all of us have hope in the person of Christ. And he goes on to say, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I love how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are caught in that tense thing, and they still choose to be honorable and respectful. They don't let the pressure get them. They don't respond in rage and anger and frustration. They, they walk it out before God and allow him to deal with all of it. Where's your worship this morning? Where's it focused? I don't know. I can't answer it for you. I don't know. You f- do you fear God? Do you fear man? I've been on both sides of that equation. I've kind of want to see some people that want to draw the line in the sand and say, "You know what? I've succumbed to that." But today, I'm gonna step across that line. I'm not going back there. When it comes to my family on Thanksgiving, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the bearer of light, and I'm not succumbing to the pressure anymore. When it comes to work this week, man. I'm not coming. I'm not allowing it. I'm gonna allow it get to me. I'm not bowing this week. I'm opening my windows wide. I'm gonna watch people. I'm gonna let people watch me serve Jesus with all my guts. Uh, I'm gonna be that person when everybody else is propagating all kinds of garbage. I'm gonna stand up and be like Richard Wurmbrand. I'm gonna say, "Listen, here's what Jesus says." And Jesus says this, you sitting here right now, if you're lost, he says this, I love you. I love you with a love that's unbelievable. Think about this. Why should we fear God? Because God went to such an extent out of love to save us. If he went to that extent to save us, what will he do for those who kick his son's name in the dirt and and all that stuff? What will he do when it all comes down? If he went to that extent, what side of the equation do you want to be on when it all comes down? I want to be on his side of the equation. Are you hearing me? God is faithful and he's true. He is awesome and strong. Jesus proclaims words at the end of Matthew. He said, listen, all power and all authority are given to me. Therefore, go into all the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them all the things I've taught you. He makes this utterance at the end of that. He goes, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Wow! Today, where's the line in your life? Where is it? And ask Patrick to come back. Because if he still feels so led, he can do that great I Am tune or anything else you think is appropriate. Patrick, I trust your judgment. Well, just sit here and think about where you are right now. What side of the fear worship equation are you on? You worshiped the approval of others? Have you worshiped the approval of a boss? Have you worshiped the fear of whatever? Because Jesus beckons you to come near to him. He says, well, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And see, I'm really big on practicality. I believe the gospel is a very practical thing, man. It has application to our lives. The Bible says if we hear the word and we don't do it, we're, worse, we're just mere hearers. But if we hear it and do it, our house is built on a solid rock. And so I'm really big on making applications. Here's what I want to do. And if you, if you could be honest and take your mask off in front of God and everybody here sitting here, if you could say, you know what, I have succumbed to that pressure, but today, no mas. No. The, the, the Spanish would say, no mas, right? Huh? Uh, Sheila longs to get back to Mexico. No mas. At some point in time, would you stand and exalt the great I am with us? I'm standing here, not because I feel real comfortable doing it, but because it's necessary for me to share the truth, man. <laughs> As we sing, if you're that person who said, you know what, I have, I have worshipped different things because I've been fearful. But today, I'm giving away that fear, and I'm coming into reverence to God. And today, I submit my life to Jesus, and I say, Jesus, you are everything. I want you just, I don't want anybody, unless you feel like that's how you need to worship this moment, I'm going to have anybody close their eyes or do anything like that. And this, if you cannot, I want you to stand in application that, dude, I'm going to stand for Christ. Today I'm going to walk out of here. And it might be kind of heavy, and I'm okay with that. And I, this is going to kind of be our altar call. We're going to worship Jesus together because we get to, but only because we're taking our mask off. You could say, man, I'm I'm repenting for fear, but I'm standing in worship, and I'm standing in faith, and I want you to do that. Are you hearing me? Father, today, look deep in our hearts, and as we close in worship of you, Jesus, I pray you'd find us being the ones who stand when we need to stand for you. You'd find us to be the ones who continue to bow before you like Daniel, regardless. And we'd be the ones speaking like Wormbrand, and We'd be the ones writing and living, God, like Bonhoeffer, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that you create in us such a desire for you that everything else pales in comparison. We love you, Jesus.
1: there. sacrifice. You are
0: Right now, where you sit, I want you to grab the hand of somebody sitting next to you. Because here's the thing if we're gonna stand, we gotta stand together. We gotta call on the name of Christ, the name of Jesus together. If we're gonna live up to this commitment sitting here in this room right now, we need to be in, in, in unison together. Listen, if you're not a Christian today, listen, the greatest journey you will ever embark on is the following of the person called Christ. The greatest thing you will ever do is is, is follow him. And what happens at that point is he comes underneath the load of life with you. And then he walks you through the rest of it. And then when this life is over, you get the hope of heaven. That no matter what happens here, you have life eternal. And you get to live in joy and grace and peace and power and strength for all of eternity. We're not ostracizing you in any way. Please understand that. If you're not standing, we hold nothing against you. We love you, and Christ does too. And he beckons you to come near. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And you're not worthy, and you're not holy, and we neither are the rest of us. And we bank on the blood of Jesus to make us so. We bank on the grace of him to give us what we need. Let's pray together. Lord, right now in this congregation of people, who call on your name. Your name's a strong tower we can run to and be safe, Lord. God, I pray, God, you would overshadow us with such great reverence and honor to you, God, that everything else we could fear, God, would fall dead to the ground, and only you would be before us, Jesus. I pray you'd empower us with your Holy Spirit, God. I pray, God, you'd fill us till we overflow, God, that that, 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 that all of us is consumed in all of you, Jesus, and there's no room for anything, Lord God, but you, for faith faith, God, for hope, for love, for truth, for life, Lord God. And I pray, Jesus, that today those things that have caused us to bow, God, they would come falling down like Dagon, God, before the ark of God in in the Old Testament, Jesus. They'd be found to be insufficient and and, and in supplication, God, and in submission, Jesus, before you, God. And Lord Jesus, we would rise above. God, today, Lord, we trust you to be our king and our God, our guide, our hope, our strength. You are coming king, Lord Jesus, and we look to you as such. God, fill this, not this church as a building, this church as a people with the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray, Father, we would be known as those like the disciples, Jesus, who are ready for an answer who were as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. God, those who, who proclaim the gospel even to their dying breath. Jesus, I pray you'd find us here. And I pray, God, we join others alongside of us in the journey, Jesus. We love you and we trust you. It's in your great and amazing name we pray. Do me a favor. Look at the person sitting next to you and ask them, can I pray for you about something? You feeling sick today? Need help at home today? You need somebody just to, to just, just, just look at them and say, you know, I'd li- I like to pray for you. We're a body of Christ. I'd like to pray for you. And if they say yes, ask them if they know Christ. If they don't know Christ, ask them to make sure they're ready to go. Because we believe that the church itself is the life-giving water of Christ. Make sure they're ready. If they don't know and you're not sure how to get them there, make sure you grab somebody and say, hey, they want to know Jesus. Help me out here. All right? And pray for one another right now. And that's that that is our closing. I'm gonna let you guys go and do what you need to do, but that's it. Pray for one another. More than all I want, more than All I need.
1: You are